Chapter 2 of Joaquin, the Cloud Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Katerina. Joaquin, the Cloud Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a Romance Founded on Truth, by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 2 The Stolen Horse, the First Blood the band is formed. Murder of Sheriff Clark. Yuba on the trail. Imagine the feelings of the unfortunate Joaquin. Naturally, vengeance sent his blood up to boiling heat, but he had enough coolness left to know that he could not single-handed quench his thirst for reprisal. That would be risking life and liberty for one or two deaths alone. He forced himself to wait and grin and bear it all until some chance should aid him to carry out his ideas. In April 1850, he went into Calaveras County and tried his hand at Murphy's diggings, but seeing that he was not of the temperament that a good gold hunter must be, he gave up the washbowl and rocker and took to the less honest and far less honorable Monty table. Mexicans do not consider that so very disgraceful, however, as we may as well say. At first blush, fortune more than smiled, laughed on him, and began to make the gold coins roll over decks of cards into the folds of his sash and the pockets of his inner calzoneras, while his hat's lining was not innocent of some Bank of England notes that he had bought as more convenient than the solid stuff. In spite of the chant he heard so frequently in the saloons, the classical Shover up, shover up to the bolt, I'd rather have an ounce than a twenty-dollar note, for the slug it will sink and the flimsy will float, so I'd rather have, etc. But, after going down the hill gaily, he had to go up toilsomely and had to lighten his load. If he had dropped his gains into the melting pot, he could hardly have had them more speedily melted away. He rolled into the depth of the gulf of crime. One day he had been visiting a friend out of town, so to say, and had returned riding a horse which Valenzuela, his friend, had loaned him. Just as he entered the encampment village of Murphy's diggings, somebody raised a hullabaloo, a crowd surrounded him and stopped him. Hoss thief! cried Westerner. I sworn, if taint my mare Kezia, if it tis shaved pesky closed and the flybrush docked, yelled the Yankee. Give the fellow a hearing, said a Pennsylvanian. Give the beggar a jolly good hiding, roared an Englishman. Smother him, the basely Mexican, said a patlander louder than all. Everybody knew the animal, and all Joaquin could do was swear that he had only borrowed it, and that no doubt Valenzuela had innocently come into possession. Half the crowd, with the westerner on his recovered horse, sped away to confront Valenzuela. The rest, after listening for a few moments to the asseverations of Joaquin, were going to let him off with threats alone, when several, who had seen him idling about and only busy when carts in hand, insisted on giving him a round dozen lashes as a slight warning for him to quit those diggings. So they tied up the luckless young man to a tree, and an English sailor who knew something of cats rigged up a whip from an old hairless buffalo rope and inflicted the whipping. They let the flogged Sonorian go then. It was lucky for him, for the others returned before long from Valenzuela's shanty. He had been unable to satisfy them, and they had run him up to the lowermost branch of a cedar and had hurried back to give his supposed accomplice a similar necklace. Joaquin's passionate spirit underwent a fearful change never to be altered afterwards. Any barrier whatever lost power over his raging heart. He took an oath only to live thenceforth for revenge and to mark his steps in blood. 
he could not discriminate in his general scheme and included all the Saxons in his doom roll. Not very long afterwards, the stout Englishman who had proposed the jolly hiding was leisurely strolling into the thinned out woods on a fine evening. As he descended into the ravine crossing the narrow path, he found himself unexpectedly face to face with Joaquin, whom he could not help remembering. The eyes of the sallow youth flashed like a tawny tiger's, and a shudder made his whole frame vibrate. The Briton was fascinated for the moment, but, noting the trembling of the other, he set it down to the fear the latter might have of being captured again. "'I ain't a-goin' to tetch ye, friend Spaniard,' said he, and he pushed on to pass him, almost unconcernedly. Joaquin, side by side with him, did draw aloof from the pass as though to give him passage, but it was really to have a fair sweeping stab at the man's side. "'Oh!' and a stout fellow reeled and clapped one hand to his breast, while the other felt in his belt. "'Die! Die!' yelled Joaquin, foaming at the mouth and tearing away at his victim with his left hand, while his right brought down the dagger again and again, till the victim was borne to the ground. "'What have I done to you, you butcher?' muttered the dying man. "'Mercy! Spare!' Did you spare me, returned Joaquin, pressing at the gasping throat and winding himself round the other's sturdier form like a liana round a tamarack or a snake round a stung prairie dog. Did you spare me when you wanted them to whip me like a horse, when you had a whole crowd to back you against me, one innocent man? Was you full of mercy then? I didn't see you telling them to lay on the lashes more lightly or to be short in the number prescribed. No, by Our Lady of Suffering, my brother and my wife are dead through just such devils as you, and I'll out-devil ye, by g— You've set me afire by calling to mind my Carmela. Stab, my brother, stab. Die, die, wretch. Mad, Joaquin kept on perforating and hacking the temple, out of which by too many entries already the soul had fled, and he only stopped at last when his soaked sleeve and streaming knife wet his painted and tired hand. There! That begins my work of death, said he, getting up from the pool of blood in which the murdered man almost floated. Joaquin's teeth chattered convulsively, his body was drawn up to its full height, and he swept with fired eye the beautiful azure dome of the Californian sky. His clenched, stained hand still brandished the clotted blade. Number one of the doomed at my feet, cried he. Now that I've had a taste of the feast, I'll keep at it till I clear the table. O oh, dearly loved Carmela, if your pure, too soon fled spirit seeks revenge, watch over me and protect me in your battles as much as mine. Carlos, brother, poor dead brother, put your strength in my arm. Next morning, the first party out after firewood found the corpse, which, although so horribly mangled, was recognized. As he had been so prominent in the chastisement of the supposed partner in the horse theft, was a good enough fellow otherwise, and did not seem to have been robbed, the crime was attributed to the true author, which fact did not much encourage an idea of the Mexicans not being of an assassinating turn of mind. A little later, a doctor who was coming to Murphy's with Salvatore's specifics for spasmodic fevers and other quick remedies, galloped in among the workmen to the music of gasps for help, a clatter of broken bottles, and the neighing of his mare, on whose flanks the camphene, spirits, and gums of the let-out medicines had streamed, soaking through the saddlebags. He had met a couple of Mexicans on horseback, who had no sooner exchanged a buena tarde with him than they drew pistols and blazed away. His nag had an ear tipped, and he received a bullet through his tall felt hat. He was saved by a small inch. 
He had not, as might be expected, taken the daguerreotype, photographs were unknown, of the marksman, but he had remarked enough of the better shot of the two for him to be proclaimed on that description to be the Englishman's murderer, Joaquin. There was a general excitement among the set who had been chiefs to the torturers of the Sonorian, and some of them felt such dread creep over them and weigh upon them that they were noticed to be always with friends and not apt to pass the last tent of the encampment. Those that did not care went and came as ever, but, somehow or other, a mysterious, unavoidable fate hung over them, and hardly were they out of sight and earshot of help than death felt sharp and unerring upon them. Consternation began to spread. Every new arrival had a report to make of a dead body or two having been encountered on the road, knifed or bulleted, and it was always found that the victims were those who had had something to do with the whipping of Joaquin. Judge Lynch called together a court, and the Sonorian was outlawed and compelled to find security only in flight or in a continuance of his murderous career. As he could not well accomplish his black plans without money and horses, he had to add theft to his other crime. Thus was he a highwayman before he was twenty. So, in 1851, the band of robbers that ravaged the country was well known to be commanded by Joaquin. Prospecting parties and others changing from mine to mine were rarely so strong as not to be stopped on the way and made to deliver. The returners from the diggings were east of their hard-earned treasure and considered themselves lucky if they were let go back to resume work, half-stripped and with nothing to pledge to procure tools. Most of the lonely travelers and especially Johnny Newcombs, who were not up to the new life, were torn from their saddles by lariats and pulled into the brush to be stuck and rifled at leisure. Horses vanished from the ranches, of which not a few were burned, and king, queen, or president pillaged, just as you like, began to act as if he or she ruled the golden state. Joaquin's intelligence and superior education, very naturally, had almost instantly won for him respect from his comrades, he cunningly made an appeal to the rankling against the Yankees, as the stupid Mexicans styled all the fair-complexioned and statespeople, whether from Red River of the North, the Rio Grande, the Merrimack, the Hudson, or all along the Ohio, the Mississippi, and the shore of the Great Lakes. The disastrous result of the Texan War had been very peppery dish for them to digest, and, by the call of Joaquin, he collected many fellow countrymen, respectable in numbers if in nothing else. His undreamt of successes recruited his ranks day after day, till his slight form had a train to it like a slave clipper followed by sharks. Among his followers was to be remarked a young stripling of the name of Reynaldo Felix, own brother to Joaquin's wife, who burned like his near kinsman to avenge her dreadful death. He was one of the lieutenants, and got his name up by his repeated exploits at the head of a troop, side by side with that of three-fingered Jack, another bandit who had come to Joaquin's standard from sheer love of blood-spilling. This Mexican, Obi, was more of a fiend than a human being. He was known in Mexico as Manuel Garcia, where he had had one finger cut off in a skirmish of guerrillas, who had been a little mistaken in an idea which they had had of catching a detachment of Uncle Sam's blue-belly snapping, hence the nickname he sported in El Dorado. It was he who, in 46, in company with half a dozen other cutthroats, fell upon two Americans on the road from Sonora to Bodega, stripped them to the skin, and tortured them in so many in such ways that the papers never dared print all, slicing them with daggers, cutting out their tongues and eyes, and concluding by roasting their still animated but lacerated bodies over a slow fire of green wood. We may as well name here as being satellites of Joaquin, 
Pedro González, Luis Guerra, Juan Cardoza and Joaquín Valenzuela, fearless fellows, when they outnumbered the foe or were cornered, cunning. But every coward's that, hardened to fatigue by a life of poverty and laziness, ardent for vengeance. The last name was brother to the man who had been hanged on the day when Joaquín had been flogged. He had served a good while in Mexico with Guerra, in the guerrillero band of Padre Hurata, a monk who had forgotten vows of abstinence and goodness made under the crucifix to make money and torture women under the Lancia's red flag. Gonzales, above mentioned, whose principal qualification was a knowledge of horse flesh, of which he ought to have known some trifle, from his having stampeded and stolen so many of them, was charged to keep the company of cutthroats always well mounted. Besides, he carried on the befitting and courageous business of a sneaking spy, and from whatever quarter the band thought of visiting, sent in an exact report of the state of it, to procure which he hung around regulators, committees of vigilance, redressers, lynchers, shirt-tailed bent justices, as closely as he could without being hung up. Joaquin's command was composed of no less than five and forty men then, but every week saw additions from Sonora and Lower California, along with roamers of the Gila, who had found meddling with Bill Williams's, Kit Carson, and other marksmen whose pieces carried six to eight dead shots to a pound, did not pay in this world at least. Leading this powerful flock of vultures, Joaquin, in the course of the year 51, rattled over the state which was more gold than grisly to him just then, when the black sand was half and half our forest dust in the common bowl, when cradles had their receiver covered with a quarter inch of pea-sized pepitas, when the veins made lucky chaps jump and treat a crowd of thirty on the strength of opening so rich, when salting claims to catch the pigtail celestials hardly was tried, folks were selfish and let strangers be butchered and plundered within a few miles of them. Too many said, the <sighs> that bloody greasers killed another on the smitty's flats, blast the show no fights, let Joe Quinn, or Walk-In, or whatever he's called, come and lay paw on our waist-belts, and I'll be doggoned, but he'll be cracked like those finger-long fleas the Irishman left us in this here shanty we bought of him. Fetch him on here away. The numerous persons with whom the king of cutthroats was on a good footing could not suspect, seeing him so frequently among them, that this young man had any share in the sanguinary deeds which were past count by this time and which affected a whole state. He remained whole weeks in one place, spending his time in gaming, utterly unknown for what he was. For instance, in the summer of 1851, while he was living in a remote house in the town of San Jose, he was arrested one night for being concerned in a mass happening at the heat of a midnight fandango. The magistrate, before whom they were all brought, sentenced him to a fine of twelve dollars. Joaquin desired Sheriff Clark, in whose charge he was placed, to come along with him to his dwelling, where he would count out the sum in a little more for the trouble he had caused. They went side by side, chatting gaily, but, as soon as they came to a spot that offered concealment, Joaquin whipped out his knife, quickly told Clark that he had only led him there to slay him, and gave him a death wound before the sheriff could draw the derringer on which he had already laid his hand. Mr. Clark had made himself hated as well as feared by the highwaymen from the careful watch which he had kept over their attempts in the district, and as he had come several times unpleasantly near to arresting some of them, their leader had thus taken advantage of his opportunity to clear the stream of that top sawyer. Some months thereafter, Joaquin settled for the time being near that bunching of tents and huts known under the sonorous title of the Sonorian Camping Ground, three or four miles out from Marysville. 
Pretty soon everybody began to talk of murders, as frequent as diabolical. From the 7th to the 12th of November, 1851, in a stretch of land not more than a dozen miles each way, there were no less than eleven persons found slaughtered by the mysterious troop. The stout hearts of Marysville, as generous to avenge as brave to act, determined not to let the crimes drop to the ground as had been done in other places. A company was formed to run down and hand over to justice those who shed so much guiltless blood. Poor fellows! Brave-hearted men who had left happy homes to seek a fortune for loved wife and children to be slain at the threshold of the riches which their strong arms, nerved with honest desire, affection and industry, would have surely given them. The Avengers thought, for this struck home to them, of women waiting, waiting for letters that never came, for husbands, brothers, sons that never came. Next steamer, sure. No? Then next ship that comes round the horn. No? Then he's crossing the plains. No roads, Indians, something's delayed him. Oh, he's sure to come. He must come. Poor hopeful ones. You are surer to meet him than he you. There's a bit of plank mouldering away in the bank of a golden sandy stream. There's a big stone on this hillock's side, a heap of pebbles on that road. Nicknames scrawled affectionately, if rudely, by loving mates, who laid aside tools to take the red chalk and horny fingers, are all those poor gravestones bare, and no one knows, though they may guess, that for little pet Pete a heart broke slowly and sadly in the east, that for Georgia Net the Edover River bore a self-drowned darling of a brunette on the way to the Coosa and the Gulf, if the garfish had not attacked it and canoemen recovered it to sadden a whole plantation with, that for this, that or the other unknown, she with the golden hair wasted away in that city, she with the black curls is a widow unmarried, she with the brown tresses is grey before thirty. Enough that the redressers felt this far better than we can say, and were untiring of foot. After many days' researches, they only found, not far from the muddy ripple of the creek, six men, dead, with that little circle around the neck and horridly distorted features which betrayed the lasso. The whole of Yuba County was overrun, and yet not trace was found of the murderers. The party returned to Marysville, disbanding with regret. But, the very next day, news spread that several persons had been killed and despoiled near Bidwell's Bar, whereupon the excitement grew greater. Few dared to travel. Suspicions began to settle towards the camp of the Sonorians, exclusively occupied by Mexicans as it was for, without much striking with picks or dabbling in the river's sands, a great number of them possessed steeds of value, magnificent serapes or blankets, costly panamas, plenty of jewelry and gold in large quantities. Buchanan, sheriff of Yuba County, set out on one beautiful moonlit night with Ike Bowen to have an inspection of the place and to arrest three very suspicious fellows who were known to be in that neighborhood. But, as they were getting over a stockade, four Mexicans sprang upon them unawares and the sheriff fell to the ground seriously wounded with a pistol bullet through the body. The Mexicans took to flight at the charge of Ike, who turned and attacked them single-handed. Buchanan, carried back to Marysville by his companion, was a long time in danger, but eventually recovered. The consequence of this affair was that the ravagers did not stay any longer in those parts. They stole off to the western side of Mount Shasta, where they kept secluded for several months, only going down into the valleys at rare intervals to steal horses. Few miners passed through that retired region, but, nevertheless, they were found more than one bleached skeleton of human beings. Some bore no trace of how they had been put to death, 
but the splintered holes in the dislocated vertebra of others revealed the secret work of Lasso and Bullet. End of chapter 2